Super Talk Mississippi media production. State Treasurer David McRae has put millions back into the hands of Mississippi citizens, expanding the state's affordable college and career savings program and also returning record amounts of unclaimed money. Check out how Treasurer David McRae's office can help you, your business, or your organization. Treasury.ms.gov. You're listening to the Rebel Report Podcast, where it's all Ole Miss all the time. Here's your host, Michael Borky. That's right. Welcome in, everybody. I'm Michael Borky. Glad that you are with me on this Thursday morning. This time next week, Lane Kiffin and his three players will be making their rounds in Nashville. I'm really excited uh, to be there and to bring that for you. I hope you guys are excited as well. I know some people roll their eyes about SEC media days and stuff. I enjoy it. I enjoyed it before. I actually started getting to go to that thing, doing what I do now for a living. I enjoyed it before I took this job. And I'll enjoy it after as well. It's the middle of July. There's nothing else going on. Yes, it's vanilla. Yes, it's coach speak and whatever. But man, it's football. And we're getting ever so closer to the start of football season. And that's a really big sign of that. So I'm excited you'll have audio on this feed of Lane Kiffin and all three players probably multiple different times. They're going to sit with us at our radio booth. And also I'll probably go to the breakout rooms if, if anything else happens as well and bring that all to you right here on this feed. So I'm excited. Hope you guys are excited as well. And today we're talking about something really interesting. So I don't know if you guys saw this story. By the way, follow me on social media, Michael Borky, B-O-R-K-E-Y, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube. Also, subscribe to this podcast if you're listening on the website in browser. Uh, Pull out your favorite podcast app, search Rebel Report, subscribe, and leave a rating and a review. So you guys may have seen the, uh, the story that came out this week centered around collectives. And and I know people are kind of growing weary of the NIL conversation and stuff, but this directly involves Ole Miss, so I'm going to bring it to you. And uh, got an interview for you coming up later that directly uh, ties into this as well. But the story, I saw it on three first. This was yesterday. And here's the headline. Seven NIL entities officially formed the, quote, collective association. Bring from the story. With the NCAA continuing its full court press on Capitol Hill for NIL reform and more signs pointing towards athletes eventually earning employee status, Seven NIL entities have formed the Collective Association. Spire Sports Group laid the framework last month when the Tennessee-focused marketing firm announced plans for a trade association. Those efforts have now resulted in the Collective Association, nicknamed TCA. I'm going to kind of skip some of this stuff uh, because it's mostly uh, a waste of time. Waste of your time, anyway, but here's the important stuff. Collectives have been forced uh, to evolve as donor fatigue continues to be a rising concern. Many have looked elsewhere to generate funds coming up with e-commerce business and unique events for boosters. Sidebar, uh, the Grove Collective uh, has done a very good job of combating donor fatigue, getting a little creative. But anyway, collectives have also... Collectives have also been given a front row seat to to see how NIL has evolved. The executive directors and CEOs have seen the issues NIL has created for athletes and coaches, and the seven founding membership members plan to make sure those topics are addressed at a national level. The TCA plans to spend substantial time assisting its peers, whether it be 
talking through the NCAA's most recent guidance or the memo released in June by the IRS aimed at nonprofit collectives. Don't worry, Ole Miss is not one of those. They had some foresight on that. It was really good. The TCA plans to release a revenue-sharing model for college athletes that does not require them to become university employees in the coming weeks. Here is the list of the seven founding collectives, and here is where this gets interesting and important. The Classic City Collective, which represents Georgia. The Spire Sports Group, aforementioned, mentions Tennessee. The Battle's End, which represents Florida State. House of Victory, which represents Southern Cal. Champions Circle, which represents Michigan. Happy Valley United, which you could probably guess represents Penn State, and the Grove Collective representing Ole Miss. So in the coming weeks, apparently they're going to vote on a set of bylaws to hope to begin conversations with the president of the NCAA. They expect to expand uh, to invite more uh, collectives into this. They want more people to be involved uh, because they want to make this uh, a widespread deal. They want this to be universal. So it's not just going to be this seven. It's going to be as many as they can get in to be all on the same page. Uh, there's a lot of things to take away from this. First of all, uh, do you hear the schools that that Ole Miss is, is among in terms of being a power player and the most important thing in college sports right now? You, you can't overlook that, or at least you shouldn't, because when it comes to like finances or program status, if we're being honest, I don't mean this disrespectfully, but I think you guys would agree with this. Ole Miss doesn't belong uh, in the conversation with Georgia and in Southern Cal and Michigan in terms of history and national brand and prestige and stuff like that. But yet here they are, and, and Ole Miss was – they didn't just get like looped in at the end to be the seventh. The, the Grove Collective was like – like the second phone call or or like the first phone call. They were really early in this. So this tells you, at least it tells me, uh, a couple of things. Number one, uh, the the way the rest of the country looks at your collective, who's running it, and your brand. Think about that. Your collective, who's running it, and the brand of Ole Miss was uh, essentially a founding member of the group that is trying to essentially save college sports from itself. Georgia and Tennessee and Florida State and Michigan and Southern Cal think that Walker Jones, the Grove Collective, and Ole Miss need to be sitting at their table on the ground floor of something that I think could possibly save the sport. That's really significant. That, that That's a big deal. That, that says a lot, again, about who's running your collective and what your brand has become. Because 10 years ago, things have changed a lot recently in the landscape of college sports. And I think a lot of credit goes to the people that are in charge and how your brand has evolved into something that is viewed on the same plane as this. I understand that um, it's a little bit more nuanced than that because they didn't just say, let's invite Ole Miss. It was... Walker Jones and the Grove Collective, let's invite them. But still, it it says a lot about uh, your branding, your school, and the the people that are in charge of your NIL collective. Uh, It says a lot that they are uh, involved in this on the ground floor. So 
it's a very ambitious project, but I think that this is the way. If you, if you're honest with yourself, and what I'm curious to hear Greg Sankey address, uh, we're certainly going to ask about it when he sits down with us at, at our booth there at Media Days. But um, what a wasted effort petitioning to Capitol Hill was. That is a wasted effort. They're not going to do anything. The NCAA is not going to lead. Congress sure as hell isn't going to help. It's kind of a shame that it takes CEOs or directors of collectives to get together and decide, hey, wait, this is a mess and we need to fix it. I mean, of all the people that have powerful positions like the head of the NCAA or the head of conferences, and and this is who has to do it. That That's a shame. But this is the way. This is the way. If you want fairness or at least some illusion of increased fairness in college sports, th- this is, is what has to be done. Ground rules have to be laid. Um, enforcement has to happen. And yes, revenue sharing has to happen. Now, as you guys have heard me say before, if they go to like a 50-50 split like the NBA, well, you can kiss college sports goodbye. California's proposal is ridiculous. Um, it, it'll never pass nationwide, and they will gut college sports. Soccer, tennis, golf, volleyball, all of that will be gone if you require a 50-50 revenue split. Watch, it, it will happen. All the sports that lose money will be gone. But what you can do is give some revenue sharing to calm all of this down and equalize compensation. And that's kind of wordy and political. But as I tell you guys all the time, the beauty of the NFL is that everybody is on equal footing. The Buffalo Bills are are one of the best teams in America. The Kansas City Chiefs are the, they've been the best franchise in America consistently over the last few years. The tiny market Green Bay Packers have the exact same brand and spending power as the Los Angeles Rams or the New York Giants or the New York Jets. It's all the same. It's all equal because there's there's caps, there's limits, there's restrictions, there's guardrails. Everybody has the same and can only use the same. And so it's all about how you're run, how efficient you are, how good you hire, how good you scout. In college football, as you guys know, it's how much money you got. That's how it's always been. That's how it's always been. NIL has has changed nothing about the pecking order or the ability to win in college sports. But there is a discrepancy. There always has been in any effort to try to balance the scale is a good undertaking. It's worthwhile. And if you give a little when it comes to revenue sharing, it, whether it's 10%, 15%, whether you break football away so you can avoid Title IX issues, whatever it is to where, because the players don't want to be employees. They don't. It, very few players actually want to be employees because the things that come with employment are kind of, it, it's a lot. And it eliminates the possibility of scholarships and, and all that. It, Things change if you make them employees. So what you can do is you can keep scholarship, you can keep the academic side, you can keep the free room and board and all that, 
pay them some and quiet down this desire to chase revenue or, or to chase money. You can balance it. You can keep scholarships and, and all that stuff. And you can keep what's great about college sports while also because the TV deals and the money just keeps growing and growing and growing and growing and growing and growing and growing. And growing. You can compensate for that. You can take the burden off of the fans to pay the players when the schools are making more money than they ever have. You can eliminate the burden from the fan and allow them to not feel pressured into giving every ounce of money that they have to pay players. Uh, In secret, basically, is how this still operates, even though NIL is legal now. So you can take the pressure off of boosters. Uh, You can make the players happy. You can preserve everything if they do it right. And the the effort that they are that these collectives that that Old Miss is a part of, um, hopefully it gets somewhere because these are big brands. And you know that they don't do this without the blessing of their athletic directors. There's no shot Keith Carter is against this and didn't know that this was going on. Same thing with the AD at Georgia and Michigan and Southern Cal and Penn State and Tennessee, all of them. So they're doing this with the blessing of their athletic directors. I'd be willing to bet they're doing this with the blessing of the coaches as well, even though they don't have as much say. This is the way. This is the way. I hope it works. It's fascinating as hell that Ole Miss is involved in this, and that's a good thing that Ole Miss is involved in this. And the sport needs a front to try to make things more balanced. And this might be just a really good way to do it. The, more of this is going to evolve over time. We'll learn more. Their, their bylaws are going to get released and all that stuff over time. Um, by this time next year, they expect to have some pretty concrete stuff in place. Uh, but they're going to work with the commissioner of the SEC. They're going to work with the commissioner of the Big Ten. They're, they're, th- this is fascinating as hell. Um, and so let's hear from the guy involved at the Grove Collective. This was an interview done, not by me. This was an interview done by uh, by Richard uh, with Walker Jones. He he and Walker met yesterday, and um, they didn't meet for the first time. They sat down together yesterday and talked about this undertaking and, and why the Grove Collective is involved and, and why they're doing this and what they want to accomplish here and, and everything in between. It's a really, really good conversation, and um, – your collective is in really good hands, I think. I mean, th- this is this is the way. I keep using that expression, forgive me, but this is the way uh, to make it right. Congress isn't the way. The NCAA is not the way. This is the way. And hopefully the uh, commissioners uh, will get on board. I suspect that they will, not considering – they'll at least sit at the table and listen, considering the brands that are involved. So, anyway – uh, before we get to that, I want to remind you the podcast is brought to you by Advantage Business Systems. Check them out online, absms.com. That's the website, absms.com. If you and your business are located anywhere inside of the state of Mississippi and you need technology for your office, phone systems, copiers and printers, mail machines, all the way up to IT projects and cloud storage and data security, they've got you covered. Advantage Business Systems, absms.com is the website. Tell them I sent you. You'll get a complimentary office technology assessment. So you tell them what you need, what your budget is. They'll perform that assessment 
on me, just tell them that I sent you. The podcast is also brought to you by Priority One Bank. Let them make you their priority. We've got locations, 16 of them, I think, scattered all over the state of Mississippi. So there's probably one in your backyard. And uh, you should switch to them like I did. So you don't have to have multiple apps to manage your money. All you need is an internet connection and Priority One Bank has got you covered with their online banking platform. Priority One Bank makes you their priority. So here's that interview now. It's uh, Walker Jones and Richard Cross. There, there is an echo early. I, I know it's there. Uh, I, I was able to fix it for the overwhelming majority of the of the interview. But the beginning, uh, there there is an echo. I, 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 it's kind of bad. Uh, but it's still worth hearing. And it does go away shortly into the interview. I don't know. I, I fixed most of it. I, I don't know how the hell it happened. but But I fixed most of it. And so enjoy this, though. It's fascinating. Walker Jones and uh, and Richard Cross yesterday uh, talking about joining forces with other collectives to try to essentially save college sports. Here that is, and that will end the podcast. Thank you guys so much for tuning in, and I'll talk to you again probably uh, tomorrow. So I'll see you then. Talking, talking about, about the collective, collective association, association. Uh, uh, seven, seven schools, schools that have, that have kind of, kind of- Banded together, together, formed a a bit of a consortium. Those seven schools are Georgia, Tennessee, Ole Miss, Florida State, Southern Cal, Michigan, and Penn State. So um, we made a lot of fun a a year ago or a couple ago when the the Big Ten and the Pac-12 and the ACC, we said they had their little uh, their group of very, very, very good friends. And that didn't go very well for them with, uh, with Kevin Warren and company. Uh, is this just a group of good friends, or what, what, what are we doing here? Yeah, I mean, this speaks – nothing speaks more to the NIL, this whole relationship. Like, personally, and whoever else would ever thought that these seven schools would all join together and say, hey, let's all work together to, uh, you know, fix this thing. And so – uh, really, I think Richard. The, uh, the long and short of it is, I think you know we were up in DC a month and a half ago with with, with uh, speaking on a congressional panel. Some of the, those other collectors were there. You had Charlie Baker from the NCAA. You had a bunch of our head coaches, bunch of athletic directors. We had some school presidents there. And I think what we all kind of came away with is that federal intervention in NIL is probably a ways away. And even if there is... Wait, hold on a second. You mean Congress isn't going to act quickly on Can something? Can you believe that? I mean, I mean, we, I was like, we've never talked about that on this show. I know, never. Can you imagine being naive to think that Congress, the federal government is going to fix something like this? But I think what we've realized is that, you know, that that's going to be a long way away. And even whenever they do act, um, you know, do they have the right information to act and pick the right things? Because... You know, in the NIL landscape right now, there is a ton of positive out there. There's a lot of really good things going on. Like, I just got through meeting with our women's basketball team uh, and talking about some of the partnerships we're working on with them and to see the look on those young ladies' faces about what this uh, platforms are giving them. Like, there is a lot of really good things and a lot of good news. So I don't want to act like, you know, oh, my gosh, this thing is is – you know, headed for disaster. But there are some things that need addressing, and there are uh, some pain points that we all see now and down the road that are coming. And so the collectives, we kind of all got together and coming out of that uh, the D.C. meeting and saying, look, the collectives across the country are at the point of intersection for all this commerce. We have to deal with the universities. We have to deal with the players. We have to deal with the NCAA. We have to deal with the donors, uh, the corporate brands, 
all the stakeholders that are involved in college athletics and specifically NIL have to come through the collective, the way it's structured right now. So we should really be a, a think tank, uh, a sounding board, and a facilitator to give real information, tangible information, to the really smart people in this conversation so they can make the best decisions. And we just felt like leaving there that the Power Five commissioners are the ones that probably have the most power and the most realistic opportunity to fix some of these things that need fixing. And so we went together and put together a cross-section of of collectives from the Power Five. There will be a few more other collectives joining as well. Um, so we can represent all the different groups and and throw out some common-sense ideas real-time information, not the anecdotal information the NCAA loves to attach themselves to, and try to be a bridge to address whether it be an agent registry, whether it be uniformity on state law, whether it be a rev share that doesn't involve employment, uh, you know, things of that nature, best practices. Um, and that's really, again, I never thought I'd be sitting there saying, you know, I'm working with Tennessee and Georgia on something, but that's what we're doing. Yeah. I hope you've got a minute because uh, I got a lot of questions based on that few, those few things that you said. But I want to start with this, which isn't necessarily related to uh, NIL specifically. Um, testifying before a congressional panel in D.C. You've been a lot of places. You've done a lot of cool <laughs> things. Played in some big stadiums when you were uh, were at Ole Miss. Uh, obviously, you've worked internationally with, with Under Armour. Have you ever had an experience like that? You know, no. W- 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 was it was it at all? Kind of nerve-inducing? Well, it wasn't, you know, and, like, there's a difference from what we were doing and, like, being in front of a panel on C-SPAN where they're talking about anti-trade, you know, trust and, you know, um, you know some of the other issues that are going on with our country right now. So it wasn't quite the pressure cooker of that. It was a little more, um, I wouldn't say laid back, but uh, it wasn't as formal as that, but you still had to walk into that room uh, with all these stakeholders, these congressional leaders and lawmakers, and really know that everything you say is going to be challenged, is going to be analyzed, and really I, I, the Grove Collective, we were the only collective actually on the panel, uh, so I was speaking not only on behalf of the Grove Collective and Ole Miss, but also all the other collectives out there. So it was that that was probably the most nerve raising and making sure that the things that I was trying to articulate covered all those different groups that I was yeah. representing. Um, and when you got Charlie Baker sitting in the room, the head of the NCAA, um, that adds another level to it because I'll just tell you, he was not fired up about being there. He was, you could tell, he was annoyed. Um, and, um, he was, he was pretty, uh, put out by some of the comments that were made in that room that day. But again, that's, but he also knew what he was walking into when he took on that role, because so, so this group, the collective association made up of these seven schools, and you said more coming on that that we were talking about just a second ago, it kind of strikes me as the anti NCAA, because when you think about where we are with regard to NIL, Pay for play, however you want to describe it, transfer portal, all of these things. The NCAA, for the longest time, buried its head in the sand exactly. while they were fighting frivolous lawsuits and wasting a bunch of money. Whereas it sounds to me like you're saying, okay, as a group of collectives trying to influence conference commissioners, we want to see if we can come up with a proactive solution. Yeah, well, again, 
I do think that's why I was so kind of a little disappointed in his demeanor that day because I'm like, surely he knew this was what he was getting into. And he did say, look, the NCAA stuck their head in the sand and they've created a lot of this problem. Uh, he did say that. I think the challenge, the hard part for him is he's trying to wrangle something back in and he's trying to govern all the institutions at all the levels, Power Five, Group of Five, D2, D3, all that, in the same format. And that's just not the reality of college athletics now. So I think that's that's a challenge that he has. I think as a collective, if you read the press release today, we threw out a couple of things that he listed that day in the meeting. He wanted an agent registry. We're all for that. And you know what? There's a great model with the NFLPA, the NBAPA, Major League Baseball, that we could take and retrofit to form our own registry to keep the bad actors out of this. So I think that's something we share common ground with him on. Uniformity on state law, oddly enough, we agree with that. And we do think there needs to be some uniformity. Now, there could be nuances here and there, but there need to be some common sense. You know, right now I feel like all these new amendments to all these state statutes are a race to the bottom right now. And, you know, all these states are trying to find these competitive advantages because that's they have that ambiguity now to do it. And so we're for that. I mean, how about the power of college football there where you have legislators in states all across the, the southeast saying, okay, what can we do to give the schools in our state an advantage? We don't care what it looks like. Just, just give them an edge. Yeah, and protect them from any enforcement. So literally they write in the state statute, you do this, and we're going to make sure the NCAA can't mess with you. Which made a couple of weeks ago really fascinating when the NCAA sent the, the newest memo out that said you're a volunteer member of this organization. And Ross Bjork, the AD at Texas A&M, said, yeah, the law of the state of Texas is what we'll be abiding by. Exactly. And he's right. And there's nothing the NCAA can do exactly. about Exactly. And I don't think Ross loves that position he's in, but he's right. And, you know, people are going to follow that state statute. And so I think that's where we can say, look, if we could come up with – um, those commonality points with the NCA to give them a few wins, but also come up with a rev share with the Power Five schools that is the carrot to get people to agree to be regulated and enforced by a certain group. Uh, the NCA has always used the stick approach. You've got to do this. You've got to force people to do this. Well, now let's offer the carrot in the form of some revenue distribution from where real NIL values derive from TV money, partnership money that is pouring into these Power Five conferences. Let's pull some of that aside, use that as the carrot, and say if you take that money, you have to agree to be regulated and enforced by this group, and your state statute has to fall within this realm. And that way you at least get some commonality and you get a little play for it. Then it's on the school and those collectives to manage their money, play money ball, raise additional money. You can still separate yourself from the pack there. Um, and so you can still create competitive advantage. All right, so let's pick up the conversation about revenue sharing, and then we'll hit on an NIL buzzword that has grown recently, donor fatigue. Yeah. Well, with Walker Jones uh, from the Grove Collective, he is um, – Maybe kind of the de facto spokesperson for the collective association. I, I don't know. They're still kind of putting it all together. I didn't mind getting behind a microphone and talking a little bit. So he's hanging out with us. Did I just give you a title that, that you didn't want or is not? Yeah, yours? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if I want that title or not. But, uh, uh, you know, it, look, at this point, everybody is, there's so much noise out there. Uh, you know, again, trying to consolidate the message, I think, is important. Yeah. And I think that was part of the reason why we tried to get this all together. So it's really those seven collectives really kind of came to number one because of the geography and the power five, but also, too, they're run by people that are like-minded, 
a lot of business people, people that have some of the similar background that I had, and we all kind of look at things similarly, and that's kind of really how the genesis of it kind of came together. Yeah. So you mentioned revenue sharing a second ago, which at times might be considered a, a dirty word. Yeah. There, there's some athletics directors that would consider that to be a, a bit of a dirty word. But you and I talked earlier today, and, and you think that revenue sharing is a big part of the answer here, and this might actually be something that athletics directors could get behind. Yeah, and Richard, you're right. I mean, six months ago when I heard rev share, I got a knot in my stomach, you know. And, uh, and, and forgive me for interrupting, but you've also heard senators in D.C. talk about revenue sharing and talk about 50-50 splits, which is just, I mean, it, that's not sustainable it's for college athletics. It's the death of college athletics. It's the death that, like, if you go to a 50-50 rev share, like California's trying to say, then Keith Carter and the other athletes are going to say, okay, what nine sports am I cutting? Like, really, that's the reality of what you're running into. So, And you're running into employment status. Almost every student athlete I have talked to does not want to be an employee. They want to be a student athlete. Okay. They don't want to be governed by a union. They don't want to be, you know, regulated that way. Um, and I think we lose a lot of the essence of what makes college athletics great if we go that route. So I think the, the hard truth is there is some sort of rev share coming at some point. Now, my argument would be to Greg Sankey and the other uh, four Power Five commissioners, we'd like, go ahead and get ahead of it. Go ahead and be and preempt that and put one in place that is much more palatable to everybody's budget that addresses donor fatigue, that um, – solves for uh, trying to create uniformity, uh, again, being the carrot that, that drives out there, and it gets ahead of a federal pre, a preemptive uh, revenue share that could be catastrophic for college athletics. I think most people that you talk to will tell you it's coming. So if we kind of know it's coming and there's so many millions and billions of dollars pouring in on TV rights and partnerships and sponsorships, let's create our own model that – gets around the employment status, doesn't bring Title IX in in a major way, but allows these athletes. Also, here's the other thing, too, if you're a student athlete, it creates a longer-term sustainable model. So more athletes can share in NIL. So you don't think NIL as it exists today, where you are asking fans, boosters, businesses to contribute money on an annual basis with limited knowledge of where that money is really going, you don't think that's a sustainable model? I don't think it's sustainable at the level we're at now. Okay. I think it's it's just, it, it's still, denial doesn't go away, but I think, Richard, it doesn't stay at the same volume and the same level. I think, you know, values will go down. The ability to create opportunities for your non-revenue sports goes down. Um, those type things suffer. Um, and if it's solely on the backs of your donors and at the whims of wins and losses, then you're going to have a very, very small percentage that can sustain at this level. The rest are going to have to pull back to some degree. So that's what I'm saying is, look, you know, for the good of the student athletes, let's give them a little piece of that pie that then helps create some uniformity, but also some sustainability. And, and I the, think that's what that's what we're talking about. All right, so you alluded to, to television rights, and we know that there are massive amounts of money that are coming in there, but you've also got two conferences 
that are in a different league than everybody else. The SEC and the Big Ten, Correct. massive television deals. The ACC stuck with their deal for a long time. The Pac-12 still trying to negotiate one. And the Big 12 got a good deal. They, right. Maybe not SEC, Big Ten, good, yeah, but, but, a, good but a good deal. Um, so when you talk about a revenue-sharing model on a school-by-school basis, are you talking about a percentage of revenue, or are you talking about a flat dollar amount? And, and I guess I ask that because, obviously, the checks that – Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Georgia get from the conference are bigger than the ones that Duke and Clemson and Florida State are getting. Yeah. I think, look, you could argue it both ways, and there's pros and cons to both. Um, You know, if you did a percentage of revenue basis, then maybe the gulf between the haves and the have-nots continues to widen again because you have another factor now in there. Uh, that could be a potential negative, but it also speaks to maintaining, you know, um, you know, some of that, um, uh, competitive landscape that we have now. I think that if you went to a flat fee or you said, Hey, here's a percentage of allocation you can use of your distribution up to 10% or up to 15%. And a school may say, you know what? We're only going to use 5%. Because we think we have other things. Like Vanderbilt may say, you know what, NIL is important, but our reputation as academic school is still really powerful, so we don't probably need to use all 15% on NIL, and we want to continue to use uh, those other funds for the other things that we're doing, so we're only going to use five. You can maybe put it on the school that way and say, you know, you can use, you can cap the amount that they can use, but they can choose to use within their budget a percentage up to that point. And then the athletic directors in the collective. And I do think you have to have one designated collective that has access to those funds so you can manage them, you can govern them, uh, you can create uh, a one-stop shop, so to speak. Um, so that collective and that AD can work hand-in-hand then to kind of play the money ball game, the budget game. Uh, how do we want to spread? Where do we have our weaknesses? Where do we want to deploy funds? Um, so I think really that's the more of the model that I think. Again, I'll leave it to smarter people like Greg Sankey, who is mm-hmm. an incredibly intelligent human being, and I'm glad he's our conference commissioner, to, to, to come up with the best way. I'm not sitting here saying, hey, this is what you should do because it's foolproof. What I'm saying is let's talk about some options and see which one works the best and try to figure it out. Right now, it's taboo for anybody to talk about it. They don't want to talk about it on a natural scale. So this collective association, part of what we want to accomplish is to be a fire starter for the dialogue and to go, hey, shoot holes in it. Tell us we're wrong here. Tell us you like this here. Hey, I would, I like that, but I would change this. That's a win. That's not happening right now, and that's what we want to create. So I would love for Greg Sankey or Jim Phillips at the ACC to go, hey, TCA, uh, the Collective Association, good thoughts, really good starter here. Got to talk about a few of these issues here, or maybe this isn't feasible here, but generally I like I like the conversation. Let's take it to the next level. So the idea is get these commissioners talking, get them to collectively – maybe a bad use of the word there, come to an agreement of, hey, we're all willing to put these guidelines, these rules in place, and we're willing to follow them. What's the timeline for that happening? Well, I think you know, you're probably talking about spring of 25. I think you, you, you're going to get into football now. and football So we're season. summer of 23 right now. I mean, excuse me, excuse me, spring of 24. Sorry. I was wrong. Okay. I got ahead of myself. So so less than a full calendar year. Less than a full calendar year. I think this could be something that could be 
talked about, discussed, debated, negotiated during the fall um, and into the spring of 24. And then for this time next year, rolling into the fall season of 24, you could have something in place. Now, some of the TV negotiations, you know, that, that, that's where you run into some of the other issue where, uh, and again, that's where a conference commissioner may go, Hey, look, guys, yeah, in theory, that's a great idea, but we would have to amend our current rights agreement, our TV rights agreement. We'd have to change this. We'd have to bring ESPN. We have to bring Fox in. Uh, et cetera, and we'd have to have them part of the conversation, and they would have to agree to certain pieces of it. They may have some financial or some legal uh, stipulations in their deal hmm. that may have to be addressed. So I think you got to give yourself time for that, for them to be able to go to those partners and say, here's what we're thinking, and maybe have to rework some of the um, – you know, pieces of their agreement that that would line up with this. So that some of which may be, hey, we need some more money. Can you help? It may be, hey, look, yeah, we need more money, or hey, we need the ability to distribute some of this money in a different way. Yeah. Um, or these athletes now have a direct tie into ESPN to some degree. Thanks so much for your a Super Talk Mississippi yeah. media production.